everybody. Hi. Hey, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we are here for episode 44 of AB Testing. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing swell. All right, great. Hey, How about you? I'm, I'm doing uh, swell myself, also swell. We are in Brent's building, the palatial offices of Microsoft Building 22, which I did not bring this up in the pre-show notes like like we planned, but this is the very first Microsoft building I ever came to. Really? 25 or more years ago. I did not realize this was a Microsoft building that long it ago. It has been a Microsoft building that long ago. I was a bicycle messenger. In Seattle, I did not ride my bike all the way over here, but part of our bicycle messengering was uh, involved like picking up something at like a lawyer's office or something downtown, coming back to the station, getting in a car and driving it somewhere in the Northwest. Was this a Microsoft building back then, though? It was a Microsoft building. Because the rumors have it that this used to be part of the group help, a group health um, no, I remember when I pulled in. I, I hadn't been in this building probably since then. And I pulled in. I thought, no. And, you know, believe me, I have read all, this, all the studies on how memory is fallible. And it, I could be completely wrong. But I'm, a, I'm reasonably confident. This was a Microsoft building back then. So what we've learned before we moved into this building was that this was an old um, medical facility. And in particular, floor one used to be the morgue, and floor five and six used to be the psychiatric ward. This is like the like Arkham Asylum dork edition. Right. It could be coming up right We're here. on the insane asylum floor right now, okay. which I find appropriate. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could be. So uh, shall we get on with the episode? We can try. We can try. So, the theme of this episode is data-driven. Data-driven-ish. Data-driven-ish. Yes. So, we've gotten feedback from many of the three. Um, I guess that would be... Many would be at least two. Right. Two of the three. um, (laughs) That, hey, this this data-driven culture, this change that you guys have been talking about for a long time is interesting to us. How do we do it? So I thought today, as a good theme, we should talk about as a tester or even let's we could even potentially go further back and just say as a black box tester, if I run a black box test team, how can I get into the data game? Does that seem reasonable? We can start from there. So the the premise is like, my org, we don't use data. We don't believe in data. How do we turn the corner? We have... I know, an executive mandate. From now on, this org is data-driven. And then it's just done, right? By definition. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So all you got to do... Thank you, everybody. Yep. We'll be back. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, we're going to keep going. So one of the challenges people have, right, first and foremost, they don't know what it means. Um. There may not be buy-off. There may not be data. You may have a a culture of um, where I find pure intuition riddled. Uh, You'll find executives or program management. uh, They're all sort of Steve Jobs people. Just ask them. Uh, 
um, so these are sort of the the, the challenges uh, that people in this arena are facing. And as a side note, because this show is not a show without tangents, to give you the name later, but I was in a meeting once with a, a manager who is known in circles for not being particularly um, um, awesome. And he, I had to bite my tongue because he pulled out the, to make his argument, his point was to make it to prove that his point was right because it's what Steve Jobs would do. <laughs> which deck of geeky i'm awesomeness playing cards you have you to pull out the that's what steve jobs would do discussion over yeah there's an equivalent one that i've i've never encountered that blatant of the card being played but i've encountered similar ones right the, the um, like there's a rule in in these type of meetings and it's it's generally I'm, I'm making up numbers, uh, keeping the number theme alive. But generally, the first person in a debated meeting that claims, "Guys, we need to do the right thing for the customer," the first person to do that is already winning the argument. <laughs> Everyone else gets on the defense, so it's it's like the the, the trump card that wins all the intuition battles. You know what, Brent? Yeah. Screw the rest of the episode. Let's make <laughs> let's make ourselves a, a engineering game. It's like a card game or like a magic thing, but instead of like the stuff I don't understand, we have cards like but that's what Steve Jobs do. What would the customer do? Oh, plus 5. <laughs> we'll figure out the rules later. But there's there's something lurking there. The- I haven't played card games in a long time but, of this sort. Like but, Magic the Gathering, I used to be all about Magic. I, I know nothing about it, but I'm a big game player. Right. Board, board games, card games, et cetera. And I'm thinking, like, the goal is to ship the product, and or is the goal to have the customers like it? You decide. I don't know. No, the goal is to get the better review. Oh. It, shipping the product is entirely irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's rewind the stack. As long as you can blame all the product failings on someone else and you get the better review, it's a win. Brent. <laughs> all right. So, um, winding back. Yeah, winding back. Once upon a time, we were talking about data and moving and moving your team culture org to use data more or something like that. Remember that? It, this episode? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do that. All right. As for first-time listeners, I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll um, talk about sort of the three phases of data, data-driven cultures at a team. First and foremost, there's data-oblivious. Hey, we are populated with Steve Jobs. We don't need no stinking data. It's all driven by intuition and customer feedback. Or we don't need data. I know what the customers want. Yes, that succinctly is the the problem space there. So this uh, is, and then um, you'll hear variants of this. Like I have done this for the last twenty five thousand years, therefore I know absolutely the experience card. In that book that I wrote, I talked about the hippo, and I knew I didn't invent it, but I couldn't remember. I finally just figured out recently where I found that out. I. Uh, Ronnie Kohave came up with the term the hippo, the highest paid person in the organization. Did he really? 
Yeah. That's and, like worldwide now. It is. It is. It is. It is. And he has the first document. And I, and I, mm. I weirdly and oddly, indirectly also, I was one of the first people to grab onto that because I used it in the book not much after he talked about it. But the point is, we've all been in orgs. We've all been in orgs where the highest paid person in the organization, the hippo, decides everything based on a lot of intuition because they're experienced and they know. So to wind back, there is – I'm going to give a, a more objective reason why that is true. Number one, uh, in a lot of these organizations, they don't have data. Number two, true. this is a guy who's being paid a buttload of money to be accountable for the decisions. Absolutely true as well. And um, – it can be a risk to to these folks to be accountable and um, I'll make up a term over empower. I think you're right. I think that's one of the biggest obstacles to moving towards a more data driven culture is getting over that. Not entirely their fault. It's a tough thing to get over. Yeah. If if I was ever the hippo in the room, I'm I know that I'm I'm stupid enough that I would want to use data. <clears throat> That's just me. I would as well, but for me, it is. It would be critical to use data. the The biggest issue is, again, in the market today, you don't have, and you don't have a lot of free time available to be wrong. Right, so you really want to be able to fail fast and fail cheap. Mm-hmm. So that you can quickly adapt and then go into a better direction. That's in today's market. That's a much better way to mitigate risk. But let's. So we can, um, we can probably move on. I think we've we've beat data oblivious. I think it's pretty obvious to everyone. We will of. need to talk. Uh, we will need to talk uh, about how do we get that executive to buy off. But let's first off, like to go from data oblivious to data. To data-driven? Uh, you have I, to have data. Yeah, exactly. Because the way – it's interesting you brought that up that way. How do you get them to buy off when every time in my career I've had to convince an exec uh, that uh, of some change, you use data to show it. Right. We right. have a little, it, little bit of a catch-22 here. I have, I have been in situations where you have to try to convince the executive or um, – the executive surrogate, which is often a, a challenge, right? Um, to invest in the data where they don't have any data, and that's a challenge because it's it's viewed as wait a minute, I have to deploy a multi million dollar data engineering stream and spend three years before I even have a data point. No, you don't. But that's kind of their fear. That's their worry that uh, I, it's going to suck. All of their budget and all of their engineering hours to have a stupid chart, <laughs> right? But if they have the stupid chart, they can say they're data driven. All right, let, yeah, uh, Brent's, Brent's making a face, but that was my my awkward transition into what does it mean to be data driven versus data oblivious? Data oblivious is again, you're not relying on data; you're using um, beliefs and. Uh, derived beliefs from customer feedback. Uh, data-driven 
is essentially intuition validated by facts. You're using both of them together. You have you rely on the intuition, but you you find ways to prove it before you you um, lock down the action plan. Um, on the data stuff, so let's 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 imagine. Let's do the Wayback Machine and imagine we're on we're on a uh, product. Let's make it a non-service product, and we're black box testers. Okay. How do we get into this game? How do we? Obviously, the first step is getting data. Where can we get data? Subjective data from customer feedback forums and from customer support. Yes. We can still collect telemetry off of our application. It's just slower than with the service. Yes. We have bugs. Bugs are data. Bugs are data. We can measure perf and have perf data. There's There's all kinds of things we can measure and have data. So um, if we had – so I'm going to step out. So – I was talking about black box testing. If we had a white box test team where we had an automation suite, right? We we have a lot of data potential from the output of the automation, perf tests and all that. Right? Stopwatch testing, that's slow. Like the very first thing on the black box test is you need to be able to figure out how to automate your tests as well as automate your data feeds. Yeah, let me back up even more. So just to be clear, Black box doesn't equate to manual. Because I, 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 I have done True. plenty of black box automated testing in my life. Completely agree. In, from my experience, though, it, it, a pure black box is a, a UI tester. Perhaps I'm being. All right. Maybe you should have said manual tester versus black box tester. Well, let's. So even with manual, right? The. Um, if you're a manual tester and you're on a product and your product doesn't have some form of a diagnostic feed for dev, then really your product uh, has so many things to work on. It's probably not time to, to begin this journey. Sure. And and to further dig in this tangent, because I think these terms get a little confused, I can do manual white box testing. Yes, you can. That's code review. That's, that's stepping through stuff in the debugger. I've in the past, uh, we've, I think it was last episode we talked about uh, code generation tools. Yes, it was. Oh, it was. Right. Um, one of my uh, first patent applications was a tool that essentially, in my view, was likely the beginnings of reflection in the .NET library, where we had a, a UI, you pointed it to a com library, and it generated a UI for that API, and now you can ad hoc away on this, this artificial UI. Mm-hmm. But let's go back to, to, all right, so we have data, hopefully, communicated by, by the developers into some sort of log feed. Got it. Right. Okay. So there's 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 multiple places to to get data. the The other one for test teams in particular, test teams that have automation. One the one of my most 
favored strategies to start getting into this game is change your automation. And you change your automation to uh, the typical automation will perform actions and then do a validation. Generally doing a validation via some actions against the product itself, using the product as a deriving state. Okay. That validation, um, I recommend people to not do it against the product, but change their automation code to validate against data emitted from the product. What's the difference? You lost me a little bit. An example would be good right about now. So let's say you're doing uh, performance cases. Okay. Okay, and you want to know page load times. Sure. Okay, so... From my non-service app, from my web app. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be page load times. So transition times from screen one to screen two. Perfect. Okay. Just keeping you honest. Change your automation... Um, well, first off, your automation probably already has automated the transition from screen one to screen two. Correct. Okay. Um, the practice that that I did back in the day, and I haven't been a perf tester for a long time. Um, We're all perf testers. Was essentially you would set up a timer. You would start the timer before you perform uh, action yep. one, and then when you finally did the the final action, um, you would wait until the load event completed, and then you would stop the timer, and then you re- sure. record. Then, the- then, then you do math, and right. you, have, you, have a, you have a transition time. Right. What I'm saying instead is log the load times into your diagnostic feed using the same math. No. Oh, so here it's. A, oh, I see. So the you have the developers say so every time there's a transition, you you have the developers log the start and end. Okay, so events. that's no longer part of the test. It's part of the 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 data the, the emitted application from the product. Logging. The data emitted from the product called yeah. called logging. Okay. Yes. Now uh, you <clears throat> in your validation of your perf test. So your perf. All your automation becomes load generators. That's it. But when you want to go and look at what was the time, you have the validation uh, part of your code go to the data itself and extract the time from the data. All right. So let me see if I can paraphrase this. Old school was I get the tick count. I get the time. I do my action. I wait for it to complete. I get the new time. Do math. Now I have the load time. I can track that in my own stuff somewhere, and then I have load times. Old school. New school is just write the automation knowing that uh, the application logs all those times, and you can use those times rather than, rather than calculate them yourself. Yes. Now, in some cases, you may need to uh, leverage a, a hook in the application where you pass a unique ID. Okay, so – Let's back up a second right. here. So let, let me just talk about Go what ahead. I understand as the um, Brent's playing genius here. I'm playing uh, data idiot because I'm pretty good at it. So the advantage here is is now the developers on the project, as I see it, now see data generation about the product as part of what they do. Kind of square, step one towards that. 
They may. I mean, in, in some cases, they'll go, what? Just do it in your automation, right? So um, the way I've done this in the past is I've essentially taken my my guys and they've changed that instrumentation because a lot of um, dev can be very reluctant and resistant to adding additional instrumentation that that isn't inherently useful to them up front. They're like, wait, I got to add all of this code to the product when you could just do it inside your automation without me? I get it. Right? What's an example of a place where the developer may have, and I actually have an answer for this, okay. I, th- I think, where a developer would also want to add logging in addition to performance. What's another place where? Logging, like air conditions? Sure. That's, that's what I was going to say, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm driving driving a blank. No, I think I, I think it's actually a good example. I think um, if you think about any of the things that are traditionally gathered uh, for web apps and services via telemetry, a lot of that you want to, of course, avoid the coverage. You you, you want to avoid the. You don't want to log everything under the sun. Now on line ten. Now on line eleven. Now on line twelve. No. Um, <laughs> But I have seen teams go over the top logging too much. Like, I'm in this function, I'm calling this function, I'm back from this function, I'm exiting this function. Um, Maybe over the top. Yeah. But there are, if there's things you want to know about how the customers use the product, you can log those. Yes. The key secret here, for lack of a better word, is number one, if you're a tester and you're trying to get into this game, like the first thing... Adapt what you already are a master of. So you already know how to drive the product. You already know how to test. You already know how to find bugs. Okay, But now what I'm suggesting is find bugs via the data being emitted from the product. So if your dev has log streams, master the art of using those diagnostic streams to find bugs. Okay. Uh, Change your automation to use that same data feed to generate true-false on your test passes. So that is interesting because uh, one of the most difficult things in automation to do is the oracle. Yep. I've done action A and action B, and now C should happen, but often verifying C is very, very difficult. You're just saying just do action A, action B, uh, Action D, action F, and then analyze the log files to see where the errors may have occurred or if, or if things worked as expected. Yes. So I have a calculator app. I'm going to put Brian on the spot here. Uh, I enter 2 plus 2 equals. Do I verify that 4 shows up in the output or do I just count on the logs to verify that's correct? I would count on the logs. You could, I mean, that that's going to cause some um, consternation because, hey, well, it's entirely possible that uh, they write four in the log and write five in the UI, right? Um, it is. And if that's something that this, – this is the, a shortcut that I recommend taking because the, the, the data stuff is far more valuable – but that UI validation, leave it to the dev. Yeah. If, if, again, if you 
are on my my view is if your dev team is um moronic enough such that the the there is a actually a possibility that what shows up in the log file is different than what's in the UI you have bigger problems and that's at least uh, another two episodes of AP <laughs> and, and I think it's it's a little bit of a, a trust but verify because you're going to yeah. have it's not like you're good just like automation isn't going to eliminate the needs for humans to look Mm-mm. at a product with the UI you're still going to need to look at it yep like well I did all these actions and the logs don't tell me the screen turned pink that's okay you're not going to release this without at least looking at it and and furthermore doing some actual testing on it Right. And then if you do find that, hey, I'm in calculator and I add 2 plus 2 and it comes out to 5, log says 4, you're going to notice and you're going to root cause, figure out who is being an idiot developer on the team. There will be, there will be another process, right? Uh, an easy mitigation for that is you, you build up your, your suite based off of using the logs you create an adapter to your automation that could actually drive it from the UI, and then you infrequently run that UI-only pass as a validation to make sure that the logs in the UI agree. I would never do that because uh, I would just simply go to the dev team and say, look, guys, if that's something that I need to worry about, then I want my test team involved in every one of your code reviews <laughs> because you're just telling me that your concerns around the quality of your craftsmanship are so low that I need to pay attention to even comments. All right. So in a nutshell, uh, one step towards data-driven is to move the Oracle to the output emitted from the product versus something you try and do in your test. Yes. And the reason why we're doing that is, number one, people already find value in results of test passes and finding bugs. All we're doing is we're making a change in the system to get that value from a data feed. Now, the nice thing, we were talking about sort of an on-prem product, but the nice thing is you build this asset on a service product, say on pre-prod. Now, um, once this bad boy goes live, now you've already built up a facility to use the data from customer-generated actions to prove true and false on your on your tests. Yeah, if you can pull this stuff off on a desktop app, yep, many parts of it get much much easier when you're doing a distributed app, service app. Yeah, and if it, even if it is a even if it is a desktop app, right? If if you as long as you have some form of a of a log shipping. Uh, mechanism. Once this thing goes live, you've already garnered the skills around processing customer-derived telemetry. Sure, right. You may not have all of your test suite because uh, uh, you know the, the the instrumentation costs can become expensive as it relates to CPU processing. Mm-hmm. And one thing. I actually don't know enough about Mac and Linux to know. I assume they have equivalents built into the system, but on Windows, you have ETW tracing, yep. which it, it's don't brag a lot about Microsoft. But one thing um, <laughs> I'll mention about it's a nice it's a nice logging mechanism with APIs that is very performance non intrusive. 
a lot of devs will worry about if I'm going to write to disk all the time, our app is going to slow way down. Right. So you want to that that may be something you have to consider and look for mechanisms either open source or built into the operating system that allow you to do a lot more extensive logging than you're probably doing now without an impact on performance. There is a challenge, so I do know this. Uh, there's a challenge with um, Apple. Um, they have very hard to consume APIs to get to think like the equivalent of a crash dump information. Um, not surprisingly, uh, Apple kind of runs their OS like um, like they do many of their products as a as a walled garden. Like there's there's act. There's places that you're allowed to access and there's places you're not allowed to access. And a lot of the interesting information is in the places that you're not allowed to access. Um, Linux, I haven't had any direct experience with Linux, but I got to imagine like Linux being an open source platform, I, I got to assume that they're probably easier than Microsoft on, on getting this type of information. Yeah, just trying to address a potential feedback bit of feedback you might get like we can't log everything but there are ways to do it that are going to be non-performance intrusive and and um you don't need to log everything but but these but teams but having, making this move will be logging a lot more than they have before they will and as they gain success they'll also gain knowledge around what information is useful to log to really move things forward right um so what else does it take to be data driven so that's uh, that's a i love that i'm going to use that what else what what else makes me data driven so <clears throat> what we've really done here is we just got we got the test team starting to use the data okay for work and value propositions that they're already accustomed to is that enough for us to get executive buy-off now? No. No, not at all. <laughs> no, but what we've done is we've gotten the test team getting used to the data, okay? And we've now mastered using the 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 data for our test pass work to derive customer behaviors in a, in a very high level way right as we just discussed if this thing goes out to the world we now can look at the data feed and go oh this is what customers are actually doing on the product okay um in the limited scope as it relates to what we've done to support the the test cases right now what we need to do is convert that into new value propositions. I want to talk about my North Star. So I'm going to go way to the data centricity thing. Because it, it, I think it's useful to say, instead of, uh, as we walk uh, you know, step by step along this path, where the hell are we going? And the rallying cry that I use for my team is essentially deliver the right knowledge at the right time to the right people that accelerates actionable and valuable decision-making. 
Okay, so the first thing that we've done is we started using the data. The, the, the first step towards that are driven is create visibility where none exists. So we've created a brief element of visibility around customer um, utility. Okay. okay. Next thing we need to, to really focus on, the next two things, is using that data in a much more frequent fashion to drive actionability. So bef- now we've been using it to validate the test passes. Yes, you can ship. No, you can't. Okay. Now we need to go – we need to take this data and – Use it to drive decisions on the product. Uh, I'll give you an example of something that that I did when I was in the early phases of this. Um, this was during my time in Xbox. Okay, um, Brent and I overlapped in Xbox for about a month, two, maybe two weeks. It was really <laughs> it first was, first thing when I got there. I said, "This guy's got to go." <laughs> And it was positive that I was already on my way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So from Xbox, I went to, to Bing. But in Xbox, one of the things that I did there was held my own against the PMs in terms of their intuition. There was this one app that we were doing for the Connect. No longer remember the name, but it was intended for uh, essentially – Teen, literally, the target audience was teenage girls, and the belief was teenage girls would like to use Connect and Xbox so that their avatars could chat with each other. Um, so it would be like you and I going into a chat room. Yeah. And I wish I could translate a face palm into a podcast comment. Do it harder, Brent. <laughs> now, what I started doing, so I didn't own this, but I hated it. I thought it was completely stupid. So I started asking precision questions and getting data. So um, this was at, at the beginning phases I was one of the first people on the, the Xbox team to use um, the Microsoft big data store. Xbox had, had been emitting data to this big store forever. Cosmos. Yeah. yeah. And, but I was one of the first people to actually use it. What, what Dev had been doing was just stuffing data. PM had been adding sections to their spec that says this is the data that must be instrumented. Checkbox development. And, but no one actually had any plans to use it. So I was one of the first people there. So is there a step? Now, between data oblivious and data driven, it sounds like there is an interim step data aware. I guess so. Right, I'm just, I'm just going to add that <laughs> to my your experience, model. It's, it's like we're not oblivious. Like we know there's data. We don't do anything with it. But we, we know about it. <laughs> right. With, oh, yeah. Yeah, we have data. Look. It's all instrumented. Terabytes of it. What's, yeah, we, what do we do with it? Oh, we don't look at it. No, God. That's too much. <laughs> yeah, actually, and that was part of the problem because it was too much. Um, so we had well, 
let me not go into that story. Anyway, so I, I um, looked at, uh, once we started going to beta, I looked at the data around who's using it. I spent, I looked at the org chart of the team that was developing it and came up with a rough heuristic around cost. And I basically showed that um, uh, this is stupid. <laughs> we're, we, we, we were paying a, a, a huge amount of money, not counting the technical, the, the technical assets we had to pull to bear when we shipped this on LiveSite, right? Because we're talking about um, these constant data streams, um, but essentially, we were paying uh, just a crap load of money per launch. So, someone launching the app, how much did it, how much did we pay every time they launched the app? I did some basic research. I, I really didn't understand data like I do today. Like today, if I were to go after this, it would be a much different story. It'd be a bloodbath, right? Yeah, but <laughs> but I was trying to uh, then go. Okay, well, what are we going to gain from this? Right, fine. We we pay a large amount of money per each launch, but that's gonna. So when everybody who launches this, what are they more likely to buy from us later? To obviously, the app isn't going to convert into profit. What will? Nothing. I went and talked to the team, and it was, it fine. was from the executive down. So your intuition said this was a bad idea. So you used data to go help prove that point. Right. They ultimately ended up shipping it and then about three months later removing it from the product. For the card game we're developing? Yep. Um, there's an I told you so card that you can play at this point. I told you it would fail. Uh, I wouldn't. I would play the fail faster next time card. <laughs> that would be sure. my equivalent of that one. Sure. Um, now... So if we want to get the right information at the right time for actionability, now what we need to do is think about what does – so let's talk about buy-off. Let's spend the rest of the time talking about how do we get executives buy-off. We not, have Not the whole rest of the time because I want to get more into what's beyond data-driven. Data-centric? Data-centric. It's probably another podcast. We only have 10 minutes left. But All right. How do you get buy-off? So I'm getting data – you're getting data. I'm I'm getting some insights. I feel like, hey, this is I'm I'm getting the hang of this a little bit. Now, how do I get buy off to go even farther from the higher ups who may be leery of what I'm doing? Um, because damn it, Brent, I just want a red, yellow, green test pass result, and I'll make my ship decision based on that. That's enough. Uh, you don't. That was my pointy-haired boss. Yeah. Uh, right. So that's what bosses are accustomed to. Let me ask you, Alan, Brent, where do new ideas come from? Other ideas. How? They meet and they fester together. They coagulate and they have little they sometimes they love each other very much and they make new ideas together. So when two ideas really love each other. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. So let me give you a new way of viewing the 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 data science buzzword insight. Okay. 
An insight is an idea buried in data. So where do new insights come from? Data getting together, when, making ma- making data making ba- new insight babies, making data babies. <laughs> right now, so what you have to be able to do is take the data and connect it to something that's valuable to the executive. Okay, so in executives, so if you can sit down, how do you get buy off? You go, hey, look at the success we've had uh, improving the the automation. Uh, the proving the accuracy by leveraging this data. And we did this data investment because now we have visibility to how the product works in a customer uh, reality much better than we've ever done before. Executives will have an intuition view based off of their customer segments. The way I have done this in the past is a – you can get the executive to give you a clue around their business KPIs, around how they want to, how they're trying to sell this to customers, how they're trying to grow usage. What are the key goals in his review? These are these are the things that they're thinking about when they lock down control around how they want the product to function. What you need to do, your ultimate goal is to say, hey, I can help reduce your risk and increase your speed towards your goals. And you start small. Before you go and present that to an executive, you need to figure out a way, and honestly, you may need to do this via the dark matter factory. It's a a term a a buddy of mine uses of meaning I just do it and I go dark and I don't tell anyone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Right, because if you have to articulate, if you have to argue, um, the biggest challenge with getting uh, exec buy-off is you're asking them to make an investment and take a risk on something that no one in the organization knows or understands. And no executive I have ever met will ever do that. To me, if you've You have to show it's less risky. Yeah, and honestly, um, if you've done it right up to this point, if you've got enough, if you're at the point where you have data permitted from the product, Showing that you can get insights. Yep. And you can get the wheels turning on that exec just a little bit. Like, ask, so, so what's something you want to know about? What's important to you? What do you want to know about the product? They're going to go, well, I want to know blah and blah and blah, or A and B and C. We can measure those through data. Let me show you how. And then just, we talked. I'm going to shout out tequila for me. Just a second here. <laughs> We've talked about this before, but. I think insights are addictive. And the moment you get someone spinning going, I can use an insight, data, idea buried in an idea buried in data. Is that right? Yep. So once I have one of those, it's like, oh, I want another. So if you can just get them hooked a little bit, and should, which again, if you've gotten to the point where you've you've have enough to prove to them, I think hooking, unless they're actually the pointy hair boss from Dilbert, uh, is not a stretch. And once you get them hooked, 
you got them on your side. You need all you need is so unfortunately um this is context sensitive. So every executive and every business has their own different set of KPIs that they worry about. Yeah. You set up and say, "Hey, I want to try something. It, it it's nothing you need to worry about. I'll figure out how to fund it. None of the plan will will be at risk." But tell me as it relates to the product, what is your top of mind? What keeps you up at night? What are you worried about? Okay. Um, it could be, I don't have enough developers. Do I have the right features? Am I going to make enough money? Whatever. Okay. Um, hey, I can't go fast enough. Um, generally, you can apply this data or the data in some way towards the goal that he's, he's looking for. All you need is one of two things. From the data, which again, by now you've you've learned to use because you've you've changed your tooling to live off of it. You need data that shows he's making a big risk or she, or you need data that says, "Hey, wait a minute, there's this huge opportunity that the data is showing that we're not taking advantage of." And I find these things are easy. Um, I, right in my office right now, I'm a, I am probably 75% the way through a data insight. It's one of my favorite things to do is show the executive team that the product does not work the way they think it does with data. And <clears throat> every time I have done that, the business has changed. There are often really simple insights that that people um, – beliefs. Let's go with that one. There are often common beliefs. Sorry. Common beliefs within a team. So when you're in a data oblivious, there's intuition going running rampant, right? you got the Steve Jobs character at the top saying, this is what our customers want. And you have developers generally marching to that – drum because um, they, let's say, let's say it posi- uh, positively, the distrust that the PM knows their stuff, okay? Um, so <clears throat> pick one of these beliefs that you uh, personally find likely wrong. And or it, right. Or right. I find, actually, I'm going to take that back. That you find likely wrong. Okay. Because fine. one of the things that, that, that tests are very good at is investigating wrong, investigating broken. So leverage that as a strength. Then go through and see if you can prove or disprove. Now, here, like the key principles, number one, we talked about the very first thing you're trying to do is make the invisible visible. You then need to drive action off of that, and you also need to target interesting. Okay, and the interesting is what you're going to target is those things that we just talked about um, that the executive is going to find interesting. You're looking for things that will cause the executive to realize that he's taking a risk or that there's a better opportunity. Either one of those, good. Um, 
as you've mastered that, you're going to want to speed it up and simplify it. They make it such that they don't need you, but that's more of the data-driven to data-centric transformation. But truth is probably the hardest part of this. How do you make sure you're telling the truth? Even though it may not be the truth people want to hear, um, at the be- these beginning phases, making sure that you're telling the truth and not succumbing even to your own subjective bias, right? Hey, PM says this, I believe this, I went in the data, and unbeknownst to you, you um, did what's known as confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. You proved you were right. And you did it in a way by only loading in the sample set that uh, proves you're right, right? As you go through this journey, (laughs) developing truth as a key principle is critical because that's how you eventually win on this this data culture shift and build trust. Okay, cool. And that about wraps the A-B testing episode on – Becoming data-driven and almost data-centric. We'll get to that next time. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time. Bye.